Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week we have a guest pastor named Dominic Palacios, and he brings us a sermon titled, What If Jesus Was Serious About Wisdom? Scripture comes from Matthew 7, 24 through 29, and is read by Katie Klossner. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. So this morning, we are going to continue our series on the teachings of Jesus called, What If Jesus Was Serious? The teachings of Jesus we love to ignore. And I have the honor of walking through um, a very familiar passage for many of us. Um, about wisdom, and what if Jesus was serious about wisdom in that parable of the wise and foolish builder that we've already heard read this morning? And as a way to imagine what this passage could mean for us, uh, I want to uh, share a story from uh, a book that has been formative for me in the past few years. It's called The Eternal Current by Aaron Nequist. And in this book, the author describes a rather humorous analogy about the church. He invites us to have a thought experiment. He says, imagine you want to make some health uh, changes, some health goals in your life, so you decide to sign up for a triathlon. But you've never done any of those three things before in your entire life. You've never ran, you've never biked, you've never swam, but you signed up for one because you're a crazy person, right? I'm going to do a triathlon. So what do you do? You go to a gym and you sign up for classes. But he said, imagine that you go there ready to work out, ready to engage, and instead you're met with low lights and a YouTube cover band is just kind of playing some music. And then a super ripped motivational speaker comes out and talks about how amazing triathlons are and um, tries to encourage you and, and, and rile you up and, and this is why you should be doing this triathlon and the hour and a half is up and you're stoked but you didn't work out. So you figure, well that was just the intro class. You go back again. The lights are down low again. The YouTube cover band is playing. The super rip motivational speaker comes up. Tells you again how awesome triathlons are and you never work out. That's week two and you're looking at the clock you're like, this is a ten week class. When are we actually going to get to working out? And what he says is this is what the church often is like. 
We're going here to flex our muscles and we're trying to figure out how to live this life, but it's often just a little bit of motivation, but not a lot of practice. And so he encourages in this book to think of the church a little differently. He said, rather than approaching our church as a classroom to fill our minds with information or a concert hall to move our hearts with emotion, we long to create a spiritual gymnasium which can form our whole selves. Now, I want you to keep that image in mind of a spiritual gymnasium. Because I believe that this is what Jesus is suggesting in our passage this morning. Because when you look at verse 24, if you have your Bibles out in the pews or your own, it says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. Who does the words. Now, if you've been with us for a while in this series, you know that we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, but we're all I'm parachute dropping into this series today as well as the family. So what are these words that Jesus is talking about? Well, he gives us this vivid parable for taking the words seriously. And here's the words. That therefore at the end means that this is a conclusion. And the parable of the wise and foolish builders is a conclusion to a much longer sermon found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. As we conclude our time in the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you between March Madness games today, maybe read chapter 5 between game 1 and 2, 6 between 2 and 3, and, and so on. Familiarize with these words. The the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is Jesus' kingdom sermon. So Jesus came to establish a kingdom, and in 5, 6, and 7, you see the vision for that kingdom. And as I've studied the Sermon on the Mount, what I have found out is how I kind of frame it is it's about three things. Matthew 5 is about mercy. Matthew 6 is about justice, and mercy and justice lead to shalom, peace, in Matthew 7. A sermon of a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of shalom, of peace. Now, I know this might sound obvious, but sometimes we give names to things, and we gloss over maybe why we have given those things the names. It might sound obvious, but this is called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus went up on a mountain to give it. In Matthew 5, we're told that he took his disciples up the mountain and began to speak to them. This is not just a throwaway detail. This is not just a throwaway detail because Matthew is doing something. Matthew is connecting Jesus with a much larger and a much greater tradition. And that's the tradition of Moses. This is Mount Sinai in Egypt. And if you're familiar with the Exodus narrative, what you will know is that God brought God's people out of slavery in Egypt with an outstretched outstretched hand and a mighty arm and didn't bring them to the promised land, but brought them where? To the wilderness and brought them to Sinai to shape them as a people. And he said, I have a kingdom for you. 
but the kingdom has to look a certain way. Does this sound familiar? And he goes up the mountain to get the word of the Lord, and he comes down the mountain to tell the people the word of the Lord. What does Jesus do? The same thing. He goes up the mountain to get the word of the Lord, and him and his disciples come down the mountain to give the people the word. So this would have been ringing in the ears of the ancient reader. Mountain, a teaching on a mountain, I'm going to listen. And I'm going to take these words seriously because something is about to happen. You know, New Hope, as you have explored the Sermon on the Mount, um, an author um, by the name of Sky Jathani, which is a really cool name, I wish I had that cool of a name, but Sky Jathani has been your guide with the name of this book, this provocative question, what if Jesus was serious? You know, Tracy, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, that uh, Jordan's not around to teach the pastor's class. I figured since I'm preaching to the baptism, I've read the book, maybe I should just do the pastor's class too, but I digress. But I love the question. I love the question and I love the premise of the book. What if Jesus was serious? We have to ask this question. And we have to dive into who Jesus really is because there's so many, there's so much baggage to Jesus. So many cultural and political layers to peel back to get to the real thing. And sometimes when we get to the real thing, we might not even like what we discover. But we find out who Jesus really is by listening to what he says. And his most distilled teaching is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I mentioned we might not always like it. Well, this happened to me before. A couple years ago, I was, uh, I was doing a, a sermon during Advent. And I see that you have some banners up um, about, you know, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselors, Prince of Peace somewhere. Yeah, Prince of Peace. We were doing that as an Advent series, and I was preaching on the Prince of Peace. And I talked about how Jesus taught about peace, and I put this slide up about the Beatitudes. If you've been, in, uh, been a part of this series since the beginning, you probably did the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor, the mourners, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted. I figured quoting Jesus was safe. I figured after 14 years I should have known better that sometimes quoting Jesus isn't safe. Because I'm not exaggerating. In my career as a pastor, I've received some doozies of some emails, like, ooh, brother and sister in Christ, don't hit that send button. But I got one after this sermon, and it was just scathing. And the major critique was, that list you made up. And I'm like, list I made up? And so I continue to read, poor mourners, meek, thirsty, hungry, peacekeepers. And I'll never forget it. He said, clearly, pastor, you're part of the woke agenda. 
hand to God. You'd think this was a new Christian, right? You're saying, oh, clearly this is a new Christian. No, 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 no. Long time Christian. So I had a loving conversation with him, and I said, you know, I didn't make that up. I was quoting Jesus directly. And what I encouraged him to do is I said, maybe, just maybe Jesus is calling us to something beyond the political talking points of the day. But in case you think it's just one-sided that I've received this, this is also part of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, I would add, or a man lustfully, has already committed adultery with them in his or her heart. Now, I'm 40, soon to be 41, and if there's other people that are in their 40s, maybe early 50s, but 40s really and below, we, our lives were dominated by this thing called purity culture. Have you heard that term, purity culture? Um, kind of the, the, the best example of this was a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye that just tortured us 18, 19-year-old boys who just wanted to go out on a date. But there was this kind of, a lot of us grew up in these restrictive Christian homes that were punitive about things like dating and sexuality. And so the 40 and 30-year-olds aren't doing well with this stuff. We're carrying around some baggage. Now, yes, it was well-intentioned, but we're carrying around some baggage. And I've taught this before to people in my age cohort and even younger, and you'll get, it happens all the time. Somebody that was raised in this kind of home will come and say, yeah, but, and talk about how they were raised and talk about the baggage that they're still carrying around. And the first thing I tell them is, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that that happened to you. But the pendulum cannot swing the other direction so sharply where we have no standards and no morals and I just said, I, so what I walk through with these people say, look, perhaps, perhaps Jesus is calling us to consider that there is a sexual ethic beyond purity culture and beyond acting like we're in Caligula's Rome. There has to be some other way here. And maybe Jesus in this challenging sermon on the mount calling us to something better and something beyond. That pesky question, that pesky question, what if Jesus was serious? And if you didn't know, spoiler alert, throughout the entire series, maybe, was he serious? Was he serious? Was he serious? At the conclusion, Jesus tells us, yes, I was serious. I was serious about every word, because look in verse 24. Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them, what, into a folder, into a binder, into a mission statement, into our brains, no, into practice, is like a wise one who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them, what, into 
practice. It's like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus uses imagery in his parables. Now, if you walk around Israel, what you will see is that all across the landscape, Israel has these dry riverbeds. If any of you have ever been to the Holy Land, maybe you've walked in one of them, but they have these dry riverbeds called wadis. And you can hike in them, and they're, look, look at that, that would be a, even by Colorado standards, that would be a beautiful hike. But the problem becomes is when it rains. Now you might say, well, it doesn't rain that much in Israel, and you're right. But even if it rains just a little bit, and I mean just a little bit, even five, ten miles away, this is what happens to those wadis. Flash flooding. So, when it's, so what Jesus is saying is, look, a storm is going to hit. Did he say, if a storm hits? No. He says a storm is going to hit. No matter where you built your house, a storm is going to hit. No matter how moral you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how polished you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how put together your life is, no matter how well planned you've made your life, how foolproof you've made your life, a storm is going to hit. Not a matter of if, but when. And what he says is a fool would build his house on the sand. A fool would build his house in the middle of that wadi. A wise man builds his house on the rock. And here's what Jesus is saying. Just like a storm is going to hit everyone, we all can hear the word. There is not a lack of biblical teaching in this world. Look at this, on our phones, that, that, that phone you have in your pocket or on your lap, you have more access to more Christian teaching than any person in the history of the world. You know that? The amount of content that we have. We are going to hear the word. Everyone in this room is going to hear the word today. And so it's, this is not a matter of being a Christian or not a Christian. Let's kind of get that out of our minds. But what kind of Christian are we going to be? Are we going to hear the word, not put it into practice, build our house on the sand, and wonder why our life is in ruins? Or are we going to build our house on the rock? Same storm. One house stands, one falls. Practice is what makes us wise. Practicing the words of Jesus is what makes us wise. Practice is what makes us stand when the storm hits. You know, there's a thread in our theological tradition, and I don't know if this has been addressed or not in this series. I didn't watch all of the sermons, but I watched a few of them. But there's a thread in our theological system it talks about the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. And maybe you've heard of this. That the Sermon on the Mount, when you read it, clearly no one can do it. Have you ever heard this? Like, clearly no one can do everything in the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is there 
in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to reveal our inability to follow God. And when we realize our inability, we will rely on Jesus. That Jesus, by dying on the cross, not only took up our sin and our shame and made us right with God, but also handed us his, what, record. Maybe you've heard of this. He gives us that record, just as if we had done it. And I think that is true, and I think that is beautiful, and I've preached the Sermon on the Mount that way before, in full disclosure. And I would still preach the Sermon on the Mount that way again, because it's so rich. But I sometimes wonder, as we try to fit the words and the teachings of Jesus into our theological boxes, if we miss something. And we miss that question, what if Jesus was serious? And I think he was. It's what James said. Do not merely what? Listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but what? Do what it says. See, this is a tension we're always wrestling with in the Bible where it seems like there's two things being said at the same time. Is it our complete inability, or do we do what it says? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. That's why it takes a lifetime to figure this out, and even into eternity, because the answer is yes. And I said, keep in mind that idea of the church as gymnasium, right? There is an aspect of our faith that is belief-based, right? That is belief-based. I believe in God the Father Almighty, what? Creator of heaven and earth. We believe that. Um, What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. Come on, good Presbyterians. Question one. There are things that are belief-based, that we know that's knowledge, but it's also about putting the words into practice. New Hope, you are in a time where it is crucial to regain this idea of church as a gymnasium. You are in a pastor search. Come on, amen, right? You're in a pastor search, right? Amen. And I'm doing, what I do right now is I am an interim consultant. I'm helping churches in these transition times. And these in-between times, you can call it a wilderness time, you can call it a liminal space, but there's a time between when a pastor leaves and the pastor comes that is frightening, right? It's frightening. Because that's why the wilderness is frightening, When God's people were wandering for 40 years, they knew where they were, and they knew the promise of where they were going, but they didn't know the way. They didn't know what was next. And you had a long-term pastor, is my um, understanding, right? 20, probably some of you know it to the day. 25, 26? I heard a 27. Do I hear a 28? You had a long-term pastor. There's something different, and I've, been, I've had multiple roles in all the churches that I've served. When I say it's been a while since you've done a pastor search, you might say, well, we, had, we, we, we hired Jordan. We had. No, there's something different about 
filling that role. That brings up some anxiety. And you know what? What we're feeling a lot is grief. It's grief. It might come out as anger. Ah, I didn't like how that went. I doubt any of you have said that in the last like eight months, right? Ah, when are we going to get a pastor? Our problem is that we don't have a pastor, and if we get a pastor, our problems will be solved. Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> what you're dealing with is grief, and it's okay to claim that. Um, uh, if you've ever had someone die in your life that was really important to you, you know this, that they talk about firsts, Right? Oh, it was the first Thanksgiving without mom. It was the first Christmas without dad. It was the first, we would go to the lake every July, right? July hits and you're like, ugh, it's the first July. And then when you get to the year point, you're like, oh, it's the first, what, anniversary, right? Um, your old pastor hasn't been gone for a year, right? So you haven't hit the one year mark. So you've dealt with all these firsts. It's the first Christmas. It's the first Lent. It's going to be the, guys, it's going to be the first Easter. It is. It's coming. He's risen. He's risen indeed. But it wasn't like it used to be. It's grief. Grief can come out in anger. It can come out in disappointment. It can come out in resentment. It can come with voting with your feet. It can come out in voting with your wallet. But what it is is grief. But I believe that the interim times, these liminal spaces, these wilderness spaces, are times of deep transformation, or at least an opportunity for deep transformation. God in the book of Jeremiah says, I longed for the days when we were in the wilderness together. Remember that passage? I longed for the days because you were my bride. I was your husband. We weren't distracted with everything else, but it was a time of deep transformation in the wilderness. And that's what this time can be for you as you move through the various stages of this search of deep transformation. And this is why I'm encouraged that you are wrestling with the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom sermon, especially this conclusion today. Because in this conclusion, you can consider what we're here for, what you're here for, what this place is going to look like. And there are images of the church. So is the church a sanctuary? Yes. World out there is hard, amen? Hard out there, right? Hard. We come into this sanctuary, and we're with our people, and the doors are closed, and we get rejuvenated and refreshed for our week. Of course the church is a sanctuary. Is the church a hospital? Yes, of course the church is a hospital because sin wounds us. It wounds our world, it wounds our souls. We need to come into this place to hear because he lives, I can face tomorrow, right? We need to hear that that is a bandage to our wound. Is the church a classroom? I believe it is. Hopefully you've learned something today. But this idea of church as gymnasium, 
Rather than just a classroom or a concert hall, I would add sanctuary, all these other things, but it's a gymnasium to create so we can form our whole selves. We can flex and strain and develop our spiritual muscles in this time so we can go out the other six and a half days as transformed people. Jesus said that question, what if Jesus was serious? Now we know the answer to that question. What is it? A resounding yes. All right. A resounding yes. What better place is there than the church to really own that idea of a gymnasium? This is where you can learn to do this. For example, the social justice team came and did a presentation today. Now, every church I've been at has had a social justice team. And there's like three or four people where it's their passion. I could tell right away. I'm like, yep, that's the head of the social justice team. It's going to be awesome. This presentation's going to be great. There are some of you who do not even believe that that team should exist. I'm not assuming, but in every church I've served, other people also don't believe that that team is needed because of a variety of reasons. Dig in. No matter where you're at in that kind of journey, dig into that because it's not a matter of if you will have discussions on race in the world, it's when, just like a storm. Those issues are going to come up and what better place to learn and to grow and to make mistakes than among the people that you love because you will make mistakes. You'll say things that are ignorant. You will, but you have grace because, look around. I want to see heads on swivels. Look around. These people love you. But also, I want to give also the people that are far along on this journey, be patient with the stumbling and the stammering and the maybe the skeptical because they've made this risk to come and be a part of this book study. What better place to show that grace than here? Um, The church is a place to learn generosity. You know, you drop a buck in the plate, you give to a cause, right? You're learning something. You're flexing a muscle. So then you can go out there and what can you do? Be generous in the world. Talk about forgiveness for a second. This one's tough. This one's tough. I, again, I don't know you, but I would venture a guess that there's somebody in this room that has been grieved by another person in this room. You will be grieved in your life. And unless we learn the practice of forgiveness here, we will be miserable out there because we haven't learned it. And we learn to flex that muscle of forgiveness here. I could go and do 50 of these things but the church is a gymnasium. We learn to put these things into practice here because we love each other. So when we go out there, we can be stronger because Jesus was serious, right? And I'll end this way. This is why I continue to go back to the teachings of Jesus over and over again. This is why I love the teachings of Jesus so much because 
he continually invites me to examine my life. Where have I built my house? Why do I keep building my life on sand and think it will turn out differently? But when I look to Jesus, when I look to Jesus, I have a reason to hope even when my life is in a pile of rubble. Because what Jesus shows us is we don't need a different circumstance. We don't need a different outcome. We don't need a different life. We need a different foundation. And the true foundation, hear me now, the true foundation is the completed work of Jesus Christ. His words, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. As the psalmist said, the psalmist said this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And what Jesus in the conclusion of this parable says, look, that rock is me. Build your life on me. So, people of God, was Jesus serious? A resounding what? Yes. You want to know what he was most serious about? That he's our foundation. He's our foundation. And when we build our life on him, we will not fall. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for this day that you have given to us, that we can sing and pray and celebrate a baptism and hear your word. And hear your word not just of challenge, but of comfort. That, Lord, we wrestle and we strain and we make mistakes and we learn. But, Lord, our foundation is you. Our foundation is you, and it is a sure foundation that we can trust because what we have done, because what you have done for us. So, Lord, continue to give us the strength to look to the rock that is higher than we are, to keep looking to you, our sure foundation. We pray all these things in your name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.